Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Scanner Podcast. Dr. Andy Galpin joins us today. And um, if you don't know who Dr. Andy Galpin is, I, I don't know what the hell you've been doing because you sure haven't been researching uh, exercise science. But uh, I'm a huge fan of his work. I think he, what he's doing really is really important because he's taking a step back in exercise science and, and saying there's not a one, a one thing cover, covers all. Um, each person's very varied in their muscular type. Um, and the power outputs and a lot of stuff that really is probably over my head, but I know he's going to get into. So anyway, Dr. Galpin, thanks for joining the show, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell everybody who maybe isn't familiar with your work a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into the field. So I'm the um, director of the Center for Sport Performance and the director of what's called the, the Biochemistry and Molecular Exercise Physiology Laboratory at Cal State Fullerton. So what that basically means is, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm a professor, I study uh, muscle in response to high intensity exercise. And uh, I also work directly with a lot of athletes. So a lot of Olympic athletes, wrestlers, boxers, uh, MMA fighters, um, uh, other things like that, Olympic weightlifters. So we work directly on their performance, their training, their nutrition, all kinds of things. So what we try to do is really honestly bridge that gap between science and application and take what we're seeing in the research realm and actually put it into practice. And in addition, I, you know, I teach a lot of classes, so I also have to be able to communicate to my undergraduates and graduate students, basic principles. So while I have a PhD and I'm a full-time scientist, one of the things that makes me a little bit different is what I kind of do for a living is talk directly to people that don't know much about the field and try to give them tactical, uh, useful information. Right, and you do that through uh, your podcast, which is awesome, the Body of Knowledge podcast, which I'm a, also a huge advocate of, and I know a bunch of other of my colleagues are too. And um, you're giving away so much for free, which is nowadays pretty uh, pretty atypical, right? I mean, there's there's so much information out there, first of all, and all the good information you, you sort of have to pay for, I think. But your podcast is like, hey, here's here's the research, here's what I'm doing, uh, apply it. Yeah, thank you, man. That's a, that's a passion project. It's a little, little bit different because, you know, we only tell, we only do that podcast in, in short seasons. So there's only eight to 10 episodes per year. Uh, and we spend quite a bit of time on each episode to craft a story. And then the story kind of builds throughout the entire season. In fact, we just came out with season two. Um, yep. So I'd encourage you to check out that. And it, it, like you said, it is really for anybody can listen to that. So fitness enthusiasts, uh, PhDs, people that just you know like exercising it's kind of built for everybody and then in addition my website which uh, you know I won't spend too much time getting into is is also 100% free so it's just my name andygalpin.com and that is actually I take uh, and right now I'm in the next couple of weeks I'll be finishing a huge amount of these but I'm trying to take my entire undergraduate and graduate curriculum and put it up in videos so the exact powerpoints I use 
I video them and put myself on them. And then I put that up on my website for free. So anybody in the world for absolutely no fee could basically take um, all of my nutrition training exercise performance classes. So that's all up there. Totally free. You know, that's, um, and I'm kind of getting off course of what I really wanted to talk about, but don't you think now that the people getting into the field um, and as, as much as I value education, I almost think it's more, it would be more valuable. And maybe this is more leaning towards like the uh, continuing education credits. Like if someone's certified or, you know, going through programming to, to have those kind of things available, because if you read, like it's one thing to try to get a continuing edu- education credit and just, you know, copy and paste some stuff. But if you have all of like, all of like your work right in front of you, I mean, the education that goes into that, I, it's almost, I'm just thinking back to my, to my undergraduate and grad days, like we didn't have nearly amount the, the, uh, of the information, right? Yeah, I mean, we were yeah, barely, we, were no barely using, we couldn't do things like that for sure. Yeah, we, we were, were screwed. We, exactly. We were barely using, uh, internet for like research. And I was just having this conversation with somebody else. I like, you know, we had to go and like look at a book. I know people like that are 10 or, 10 or 20 years older are probably thinking, yeah, dummy, I guess how everybody did it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, to be able to hop on YouTube and get all of this information and, and, and then be able to rewatch it time and time and time again, that's such a huge, uh, huge component into, into fitness now. And I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, there are um, a number of companies that are doing things like that, but you have to yeah. pay small transactions. So pay five bucks and you get access to this one hour video and things like that. And they're actually you get your CEU credits for that with various yep, yep. organizations. And there are companies that are putting millions of dollars into these things. Uh, I didn't want to take that stuff. I didn't care. I didn't do it for CEUs. I, I did it because I feel like this is information people want and they're confused yep. and there's so much noise out there. And, and why, why try to get six bucks out of people? You know, yeah. it's just like, fuck it, whatever, man. Here, here it is and take it, use it, get better, make the life better. Rising tide raises all ships. So let's just go and get better, man. Yeah, you you take their you take their five or six bucks, regardless if they use that or not. The ones who hopefully are going to actually take advantage of it, they're actually they're they're the ones that need need to benefit the most from it. So, yeah, and you know, honestly, I was I thinking of, when I first put this together, I was also thinking of the bigger picture here, where it's like, yeah, everybody in America yeah. can afford five or six dollars, but yeah. not everybody in the world can. Right. Um, and, and so it's like, oh, so I'm going to make this only accessible, like basic health and nutrition stuff to people. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Like, I want sense. people, and I've had a ton of people in Mexico City. I've had a ton of people in Brazil, uh, and watch them be like, "Oh my God, thank you so much!" Like, blah blah blah. These things are free, and and I live in a favela and all this stuff, and like, I get access to the internet once a month, blah. And I'm like, okay, like this is there's a wow. lot of people out there who can't afford five dollars. Uh, yeah. So yeah, let's just make that for them. And like, I think Peter D. Manis said, you know, if you want to make a billion dollars, find a way to help a billion people. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Those people are lucky enough to like we we spend forty bucks on the internet a month. It's no big deal, but yeah. but, but you know, but then for those people who have to spend like another five bucks on top of that, well, that breaks their account. So they're not going to have access for uh to the internet for another couple months. Anyway, I uh, yeah. I think one thing that you and I both can agree on is that we have all if we get all of this information and we keep it to ourselves and limit it to only ourselves. There's a lot mm-hmm. of competition like in personal training in this industry, but I think it's starting to open up more. What's the point of it if we keep it all to ourselves if we die? Like, who yeah. cares? Like, what's yeah. what's the big deal? Everybody's gonna remember you as like a big a big asshole who didn't who didn't share anything, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in that. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. So, so for people who really aren't too familiar with like muscle research and what's going on in that, define muscle research and maybe 
um, what you and the people you work with are, are working on right now? So we take uh, what's called the whole body to gene approach, which means people come into our laboratory and, and we do the classic performance testing. So how strong are you? How powerful are you? Things like that. Uh, but then we also take muscle biopsies. So we go in there with a little needle and we extract, extract some tissue out and then we analyze uh, all the way down to the single cell, down to the molecular and then at the genetic level to try to identify, you know, why is it these two different types of training programs have different adaptations. So why is mm -hmm. it these types of athletes perform, function, recover faster than these ones? And we're trying to really enhance sport performance and, and our understanding of how muscle grows, shrinks, dies, repairs, uh, all that stuff. So, um, you know, th that's really what we're after. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, and, you know, and we, 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 the difference for us is we want to study it in athletes. We don't want to study it in, in, disease and other models we want to figure out you know how to work to healthy people so so what uh, is that being used those kind of techniques are those being used in any kind of sport right now like on a, on a big basis no 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 no. i don't know the problem is people don't have the ability to do it the technology um right right right, right. so you know we're, we're pretty unique like that we built ourselves a, a pretty significant niche where we're the only ones that really can do this we're not the only ones that can do this from a laboratory perspective, but we're the only ones that understand the laboratory stuff as well as performance and training. And so, in fact, right now, uh, as soon as we're done here, I got to go back to um, the Anaheim Convention Center because we're right in the middle of World Championships for weightlifting, where we've actually had a pretty remarkable week. And Sarah Robles just won gold and three golds and, and snatched clean and jerk in total. A bunch of world records have been broken. Harrison Morris was the first guy in uh, like 25 years in America to win a medal, and he was only 17. And Jeez. he broke a world record. And so we're, we've been fortunate to have a great relationship with USA Weightlifting. And we're biopsying the hell out of some of these athletes. So um, that's going to be the first time we've really had anything. Uh, so understanding there. So, so let, speaking of biopsy, I, I saw your post on Instagram that Nate Serrano also uh, reposted. Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty squeamish. Like if it, if it's my own body, I'm kind of like, if something happens to me, if I see blood, I'm like, ah, right. You know, I, I can handle it. But somebody else, I get kind of squeamish. Um, and then I saw, I saw the picture that looked like Sushimi just kind of lined up. Yeah, <laughs> like, man. Like biopsy uh, muscle. And even though I could look at it, the more I thought about it, I just started like, Oh my God, this is like, this was in somebody's body. And I kind of felt my, you know, myself get like that, that weak knee feeling. Mm -hmm. Tell us, how in the hell do you biopsy somebody's muscle? If, if nobody's very familiar with that, what's the gist of that? Bro, don't be so soft. Come on now. <laughs> I'm trying, man, but like I, it's just like built into me. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, we just, <laughs> it, it looks, um, we take out a small piece of tissue that's about the size of an eraser, uh, of a pencil or a small P, uh, something like that. But you know, it doesn't. It doesn't feel that difficult. I've had probably forty of them done. Nate's probably Whoa. had ten or more on himself. Um, oh wow! So you could do them. They're, I don't recommend doing a bunch of them for fun. But <laughs> right. They're not that big a deal. The athletes realize that this is a pretty special opportunity, and we can learn something, particularly for the female athletes. You know, we know almost nothing about muscle function, uh, right. female athletes, and so this is a it's a small price to pay to 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 make history. So do you take those, is it more beneficial to take from one area of the body or is it, does it not matter? Is it okay? Oh, to well, it doesn't matter. Uh, all muscles are different. So, um, you know, the bicep is quite different than the calf and that's quite different than the diaphragm. So right. it is quite different. We typically 
biopsy the quad, the vastus, lateral, vastus lateralis, so the outside yep. quad muscle, mm -hmm. uh, just because it's easy to access and, and there's no nerves there for the most part and uh, a bunch of other reasons. So uh, that's what we went after with these folks. And in addition, if you know anything about weightlifting, the quadriceps are, are very, very specific and very important for the type of squatting that weightlifters do. Right. Uh, so it's a very knee forward driven vertical back position, uh, front squat, high bar back squat stuff. And so that's the, the quads on these folks is just enormous. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to get that muscle because it's very specific to the sport. So, um, you know, you figure you got a five or 10 kilo sized uh, quadriceps and we're taking like a hundred milligrams, you know, it's like 0.001% or something. So it's not yeah, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. But yeah, you're right. Lar large muscle group involved in a lot of, a lot of lifting. So you mentioned uh, the research on female athletes and a couple things came to my mind. Number one, why hasn't there been that much research? And I'm assuming because the, the overall body of work and how long they've been in, in the, the actual game of weightlifting hasn't been as long as men. Um, but are there other reasons that you found yeah. historically? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, the, the, this is not different for any form of research, really. In fact, the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, which yep. is a governing body that runs their $30 billion a year budget, you know, all, all basically medical health and cancer and diabetes and all that research is, is run by them. They may basically uh, recently made a new policy that says if you get a, a grant from them, you have to include females in your study. Uh, and so this is an initiative the government and, and really the world is, is aware of. But the fact that females aren't studied is because of generally, number one, there aren't as many female athletes as males. Sure. That's changing. That's great. But it's still the truth. Uh, so that you have less access to them. There aren't as many high quality athletes. Um, and again, we're just talking numbers here. We're not, we're not yeah, judging yeah. the genders. This is just, this, this is not as many. So right. it's hard to get access to them. So, you know. When I look around and I say, okay, if I wanted to do a study on elite uh, female strength athletes, well, there's, you know, five, there's 50,000 male strength athletes in a three mile radius down here and there's 5,000 females. So it's just physically harder to get them to come into the lab, take a day off work, you know, whatever it's going to be. And then the biggest thing though, is the fact that they've got this very pronounced uh, change throughout the month, you know, their menstrual cycle has to be controlled for it. So Right. I can't have, you know, the men don't have that. So I could say, all right, Eric, you know, come in. Uh, what's good for you? Tuesday? No, next Saturday. Okay. How about the Wednesday after that? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But for females, I can't do that. You know, I can't have half of my subjects coming in day 13 of their menstrual cycle and then three of the subjects coming in on day eight and then some of them coming in on day 38 because almost everything we know about physiology changes dramatically during the menstrual cycle. So we wouldn't have any com equal comparisons. So, right it becomes logistically extremely difficult when it's like, okay, Eric, you have to come in between Wednesday and Thursday. That's it. And then all of a sudden you get sick Tuesday. Right. Yeah, okay. Now I have to out. wait till next month. Like right. we're, we're pushed back a month and, and that either makes data collection very, very long. It takes years to do the study or the fact it's like, Oh, we can't wait a month because it was a six week training program. And it, it six weeks is over now. It's not over at the end of four more weeks. So um, it just makes it very, very difficult. So most people are like, you know what? I'm just not going to stick with, yeah, <laughs> stick with guys. Yeah. 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 You know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think when people start, it's almost like a touchy subject to talk about the, the menstrual cycle, but there's more research coming out now about even, you know, certain groups of women 
uh, during certain exercises, shouldn't even strength train or do certain exercises during their menstrual cycle might be more detrimental, you know, to exercise during certain times. So even like my wife, when I train her, um, she's even starting to notice, you know, we start to, to really break down, okay, here are the kind of exercises we're going to do. She feels weaker during, um, you know, a certain period uh, of, of training time. And yeah. we've kind of like, we, and we kind of taper back, like, you know, well, why, why is it? How come sometimes you're like just destroying like, oh yeah, your menstrual cycles right here during this time of training. So let's back off a little bit. Let's taper. Let's change the, the way we do things. And ever since we've done that, she's, she's improved greatly. Her rest period's a lot better. She doesn't feel destroyed afterwards. She gets better sleep. And, uh, but people don't want to talk about that because some people think that we're talking about it negative, negatively. And sure. it's just a, it's just a fact, right? We're dealing with facts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Uh, I never had thought about the fact that it, it sounds like an insult. Uh, yeah. I guess you could take it that way, but it's absolutely not. It's just, it's fact, it's, right. it's, you're trying to give them more effective training saying, Hey, actually, if we found that if during this phase, especially when you're say anemic and iron's low and you're feeling terrible, perhaps exactly. this is too much of an insult. Uh, and it's actually causing more damage than good. So if we built your program so that, you know, you're taking guys are taking a week, hopefully of the month and they're sort of deloading or backing off anyways. Right. Yep. So you do the same thing with the female, but you just having it during a certain time to make optimal. So if the training for the whole month is not that different. You're just timing it very specifically where the guy's timing doesn't matter as much. So it shouldn't right. at all be taken as insult. It should be taken as, Hey, we're trying to figure out a way to train you better. Right. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Nothing but a compliment. Yeah. Improvements overall. And it's yeah. uh yeah, especially when you think about, and people are getting more information about this also about good stress and bad stress. And even though the body perceives, you know, strength training, it's a stressor on the body. So you, you double sure. that with, with depending on if someone's, you know, lighter, heavy menstrual cycle, I mean, mm -hmm. that can like, that can set you back for who knows how long. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, so knowing all, all of that information, you get, you know, you're biopsying the, these women, you're testing these women. What are some of the re results that, that are being found and how are you kind of uh, co correlating maybe uh, those results with the kind of lifts that they're doing? Uh, well, you know, this is, uh, we've, we're only about halfway through the data collection, so we don't really have any answers yet, unfortunately. Okay. Um, well, thanks, baby. Thanks for the podcast. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In general, what we're, what we're finding right now is it looks like the two things. Okay. And I'll, and I'll have to say, honestly, we might change our answer when we finish the data collection. I don't know. Oh, that's science. Yeah, that's all yeah. right. But yeah. as we understand it now, what it looks like is two things. Number one, women simply need more upper body work than men do. Okay. And that sounds a bit counterintuitive because every guy loves to go in there and bench press all day and girls tend to not want to bench or whatever. And it doesn't have to be bench, but the women seem to need a disproportional uh, training load in their upper body than the lower body because their lower body tends to be very strong actually. In fact, the leg strength of females is often very comparable to males, right, yeah. but their upper body is way behind. So they need a little bit, and they also need more overall training volume. So it seems like women respond better and can actually handle more volume. So however you want to build that into your program, whether that's an extra day, whether that's just more reps or more sets or more total exercises or longer workouts, whatever it happens to be, women seem to respond better and handle more volume. Uh, guys can't do as much. They break down sooner. They're too sore too often. Um, and, and they actually get negative less results when they add too much volume. Right. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's a perfect example of less is more sometimes. Is there, so is there a specific training ratio that you'd recommend as a general rule of thumb 
or is that still, is it, it just, you have to be with that individual to figure that out? Yeah. That, that, that's really, it has, it really just depends on their age and, and life. You know, somebody who's 24 years old and they're taking three college classes, uh, they can train a lot throughout the day, but somebody who's 34 and has two kids and uh, a full-time job, they're, they're just not gonna be able to handle the training volume. It's just too much life stressor, like you said. Um, so that has to just be individualized based on what all is going on in their life. Uh, do they have a training background as well? So if this is like, Hey, I was an athlete in high school, but now I'm 38 and you know, I haven't really worked out in a while. That person needs a lot less volume than somebody who's been consistently training and they're, they're 42 and they've never really taken a break. The volumes right. are just very, very, very different. So yeah, it has to be very individualized. So stepping away from maybe the Olympic uh, weightlifting scene, and I, I've maybe talked, uh, talked this to death on the podcast, but coming from, from someone like yourself, a researcher in the field, an expert in the field, can you discuss a little bit about the, the benefits that you see from someone uh, just starting strength training to maybe uh, progressing and the benefits that, let's just stick with females, for instance, that, that females receive overall from uh, strength training in general? So, I mean, the benefits are, uh, well, a couple things I'll, I'll say on that. Number one is one of the things uh, I try to preach to the female athletes that are in my courses that are going to be strength coaches, personal trainers, physical therapists, et cetera, is females actually have about equal ability to improve muscle size as men. And, and I'll say that one more time because people hmm. seem yeah. to think that if you put on the same workout and the same sleep pattern, same eating pattern, that men add muscle mass way faster. And that's simply not true. And yes, men have far more testosterone, but that actually is pretty irrelevant to the conversation. So women, if the desire is to add more muscle mass, it, the rate of increase is almost identical in the genders. The absolute amount is higher in the men because they're just bigger. Yep. So a woman's going to put on 10 pounds of muscle when a man puts on 15 pounds of muscle. You know, but the rate of increase relative to your own size is, is the same. Having said that, it's also very, very easy for females to get a lot stronger without adding any more muscle as well. So if they wanted to get stronger, fitter, more powerful, whatever it happens to be, and they don't want to add muscle for any reason, and in the athletes I work with, that's a real problem because a lot of them are weight classes and they can't afford to add any more muscle because they, they got to stay under a certain weight for, to make their category. Right. But for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You absolutely have the ability to get stronger without getting bigger. And why do you care about getting stronger? Well, a number of reasons. If you look at things like mortality, uh, this is, you know, death. Uh, it's very clear that leg strength is one of, if not the most significant predictor of how mm -hmm. long you're going to live. Absolutely. Yep. So it's critical. This is a health thing. Um, people are very aware of the, the cardiovascular health, but and when but put up tit for tat, Leg strength is actually a more significant predictor of, cardio, of, of mortality than even cardiovascular health is. Uh, and so people have to get this idea out that this is a health issue. It's not, a, it's not an aesthetics issue. It's not a performance issue even. First and foremost, if you don't have well-functioning, strong legs in particular, uh, you're not going to live very long. Leg speed, leg power is also a very significant predictor because you have to be able to catch yourself from a fall. Right. My, my grandma, uh, two days ago, literally fell, broke her hip. She had surgery. She's, you know, she's woken up now, but she was a, you know, medically induced coma for two days, smashed her hip all to pieces. Um, and she's lost probably 30 pounds in the three weeks before that. 
she had no strength at all, fell, boom, broke her hip, and, and you know, she almost passed away. It was very critical condition for a long time. Uh, this is what happens, and, and women are at particular risk of this, bone health, mm -hmm. and then the list goes on. If we had another hour, I could just continue going on the list of the benefits of, of being a little bit stronger for females. Yeah. And the consequences, the reasons they don't want it are actually mostly myths. So it's, not it's often not true, um, the things that they're afraid of. Yeah, the, I'm glad you brought that up in terms of, of leg strength because and, – and I would even throw in the range of motion. Um, oh, sure, yeah. You know, the, the range of motion. And, I'm not, and you and I are discussing leg strength. We're mm -hmm. not just talking about quads, glutes, calves, um, hamstrings. It's also ankle range of motion. You know, how, how often sure. do you see, see like the old person shuffle? You know, mm -hmm. where basically their hips are moving seemingly okay, but their ankles aren't moving at all. Right. You know, and so you know, so I, I like to train um, particularly older older adults, male and female, inversion, mm -hmm. eversion, dorsiflexion, yeah. plantar flexion. You know, manual and and get rotation in the whole nine yards, and within a, a couple of months, you notice just the person walking into the gym and doing a basic thing like a like a six inch box step up you can notice how much more powerful they are oh, yeah. just by increasing the range of motion in, uh, in just the ankle alone. And that goes, that goes a long way, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, uh, the, the stronger you keep your legs. It's like, I, I like to say that the hips are kind of the powerhouse of the body and, um, you know, not to go into like the, the most different muscle groups, but if you get your legs strong and, and powerful and moving as powerful as you know is individual to the person but keeping that mobile man that goes such a long way the quality of life you can have like you like you mentioned is just unparalleled yeah agreed man agreed uh so and i think i know another thing that kind of uh you know cues my mind is a lot of people think especially older adults because the the word core is so popular right now they mm -hmm. want to get core strength core strength is so healthy it's so it's the best thing i can do for myself and i I explain, yes, the core, whatever their definition of core is, if it's a low back, abs, hamstrings, glutes, that's all great. And we'll try to work it in all directions we possibly can. But I tell you what, if you lose leg power, you yeah. lose leg momentum, it's game over. Yeah. You know, so changing that mind of thinking and the education process is such a big, big part of it also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the fact that you don't have to do sit-ups to get abs. That's, yeah. That's one of the big mistakes is. Uh, think about the amount of stability required to do a heavy uh, deadlift, to do a squat, to do a farmer's carry, to do a drag. Uh, yeah. that's, that's really what your abs were designed for, if you will, or that's what they evolved to be for. They're not, they didn't evolve to have, so that you could lay on your back, have your knees up in the air, and you could raise your shoulders to your knees 100 times. Right. That's not their primary purpose. Their primary purpose is to keep your spine and hips stable when you do really heavy stuff. That's what they're there for. So that is, yep. you know, a little bit better method uh, in most people training those. So you can still work your core by doing more effective, time-efficient movements. Yeah, I get, I get that a lot from even even younger women that are in the you know, so my small group, my group training. How come we didn't hit abs? I'm like, what do you think we were doing? We we're doing an overhead press, and I kept oh, telling yeah, you yeah, keep your, yeah. your your core tight, like contract exactly. your diaphragm. And you can even, I mean, as far as the, uh, the heavy tricep uh, push down. You can mm -hmm. feel your abs oh, totally. if you concentrate, you know? So yeah. those kind of things, I, I think it's, I think it, I think that's funny, but, and in no way am I saying that it's uh, it's a total waste of time to do, you know, some, some crunches or some no, ice, no, no, no. isolated ab work. 
But in the big scheme of things, especially for like time crunched people, yep. man, for, forget about that and forget about the sitting on the, on the mat and doing sit-ups and, and shit. Just, just do some heavy work, get in, get out, get on with your life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, um, the focus should be on human movement for the most part. That, that's yes. essential. So. Yeah, well, it should be, but we, we've got a lot of flash and jazz and stuff we have yeah. to work around too. And, yeah. uh, but, oh, oh, one more thing. And then um, I kind of want to wrap it up, but you mentioned uh, the cardiovascular benefits. And I, I want to touch on that because um, I laughed during my breath when you said that. the Yesterday, someone said, oh, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she's like, well, how come we didn't do any, <gasps> any cardio today? Because all we did was we did, we, did, we did like, you know, 45 minutes of strength training, machines, body weight, dumbbell, sure. barbell, and yeah. she's just pumping, sweat pouring down. I'm like, uh, put your hand on your chest. You don't think you're getting a cardiovascular workout right sure. now? Or, you know, it, not endurance-based, but you don't think your, your lungs and your heart are benefiting from this? Mm -hmm. let's, let's critically think about that. But this is coming from a person who grew up, you know, kind of in the 90s during the, the cardiovascular sure. craze. And so now we're starting to break through with that. Are, are you are you guys kind of dabbling in that area also or not? So well, much? yeah, that's that, that's something that we've uh, we've hammered on for a long time, um, especially with the MMA fighters I work with. That we have to oh, understand. Yeah. There's a what's the word cardio mean? What's the word aerobic mean? Mm -hmm. Like this is just a cardio, simply referring to heart, right? Cardiovascular. So anything, right. therefore, that gets your heart rate elevated is cardio. Yeah. I mean, do you think that the heart works differently when you're at a treadmill than when you're you know, dragging something down the road. No. No, it's beating, no. right? All it knows is it's beating. In fact, if you look at the cardiovascular response, you know what happens to somebody's cardiovascular or their heart rate during a max effort squat? Uh, oh, yeah. It, it gets very, very, very high. Through the roof, right. So it doesn't matter the mode. Uh, that, that doesn't matter at all. If you're simply there for the sake of cardiovascular fitness, just get your heart rate up and down a bunch and, and who cares now if you're there because you think that cardio is needed for fat loss then we really need to reevaluate your understanding of exercise physiology um yep exactly that that's not it does it work sure if yep. you go jog for an hour you, you're going to burn some calories but uh is it absolutely essentially required to, to lose fat not even close um i would encourage anyone that that's maybe paused or drawn back on that statement to to watch my video on my website called the physiology of fat loss and I promise it's it's not just physiology; it's it's actually fat loss. Um, it, I'm trying to explain to you how fat loss actually works. And I promise, once you understand that, you're going to be like, "Oh, now I get how to work out for fat loss." Nice. So it's a little bit. It, it's mostly understanding this is how you work out the fat loss. And oh, if you don't believe me, this is exactly how it works, so that you understand. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to link to that too. And I've watched that, and it's an excellent video. And um. I, I, you know, I work with a lot of people who will come in and spend, you know, 30 minutes on the treadmill beforehand. And I look around the corner and they're already, you know, breaking a sweat. They're, they're exhausted. And then we strength train and then they're like, oh, I'm going to get some more cardio in. I'm like, can you just go home, please? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just, just go home and rest and then reap the reward that way. Like you're, right. you're good. You are good now. But right. you know, it's, it's, again, it's a certain mind frame. It's a certain, um, you know, feel like that feeling like the more is better. And then you add on uh, calorie restriction. You add on, you know, they're taking five different Pilates classes a day and all that other shit. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I'll definitely link to that. I, I think you, you hit it right on the head, and I, I wouldn't expect anything else. So, um, Dr. Galpin, I I appreciate it. This has been awesome. I'm really glad we got you on. 
Um, if people can, people want to find out more, uh, what's your, what, what are all your social tags? Yeah. So you can check out the podcast. Uh, like you said, the body on Stitcher and iTunes and the website, um, body uh, my website, andygalpin.com. Uh, you can also go to, um, you know, just my name, Andy Galpin on most of the social or Dr. Andy Galpin. So Dr. Andy Galpin, Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook is just Andy Galpin. It's pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good. Have a, have a great rest of your day, Dr. Galpin. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor. 